0: Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word.
1: We don't get to make it up as we go. I don't get to have a version of truth that's that's mine personally. I just believe the truth, the truth that comes from him. We're living in an era right now where it's unpopular to hold some opinions and some views about things. It's going to get more and more unpopular and there'll be persecution that will arise from those things. Are we gonna stand our ground? Are we gonna change the language? Are we gonna acquiesce to the culture? Are we gonna make God blend in with the carnality around us? Are we gonna stand our ground and say, no, this is what the Bible says.
0: In your faith journey, have you ever felt persecution for what you believe? Have you ever felt pressure to bend your beliefs, even from other Christians? In today's message, Pastor Bill wants you to know that if you want to maintain your closeness with God, You need to stay steadfast in His truths. The world will always try to tell you why you're wrong, but God will come through for you, time and time again. The more you back down from what you know to be true, the further from God you'll be. Stand strong for God's truths. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Revelation chapter two, as he continues his message, The Church of Smyrna.
1: We're gonna see as we go through this chapter, that sometimes Satan's temptation is God's test. Satan's is tempting you to walk away from God, to cash it all in, to quit. And God is saying, I'm proving you. I'm proving you faithful. I'm going to bless you for it. I'll reward you for it later. But the same situation that Satan is saying, I want to wreck you. God is saying, I'm just proving you. Case in point would be the book of Job, right? God said he allowed Job to go through what from God's perspective was a test. Satan was tempting Job. He said, he's going to curse you to your face. I'm going to do everything in my power, Satan would say, to get this man to curse you to your face. I'm going to kill his kids. I'm going to take his health. I'm going to take his wealth. I'm going to break him down. Everything that you've given him to bless him, I'm going to take it all away so he'll look up at you and just be like, mm, and curse you to your face. But Job didn't do that. He did the opposite. It was the biggest in your face. Job, when he lost everything, he says he fell down, he tore his clothes. And what did he do? He worshiped. It's the opposite of curse. He spoke, I mean, pronounced God's, I mean, worshiped God. And God allowed this horrendous test. And at the end of his life, God blessed him. And God gave him what money he can't buy and gave him a long life, let him see his kids and kids' kids, grandkids for three generations. But it was from Satan, the temptation to destroy. From God, it was a test to prove. God had already told Satan, he's upright, blameless, fears God, shuns evil. There's none like him on the face of the planet right now. Job is my dude. And Satan is like, uh-uh, he'll curse you your face. Let me take his stuff. He only loves you because you blessed him. If you let me take all his stuff away, he'll curse you. God said, go ahead. You can do that, but you can't, take his, you can't touch him. You can touch him, but you can't kill him. And God just set the boundaries and the limits to the test. And afterwards, God blesses his life. Now, again, I'm, I, Job didn't sign up for that. I mean, honestly, Job got that because he was faithful. So we got to be careful about looking at people going through it and saying, I bet they messed up. Not always. Sometimes people are going through it because they've been faithful to God. And God is saying, I'm, I'm allowing you to be proven right here. It's Difficult what you're about to go through. It's not a punishment. Um, it, it, there'll be a blessing on the back end of it. So we got to be careful about making those kind of judgments so that when people need to be embraced by us, we're, we're speculating. I bet you did something in the dark, sir. That's what Job's friends did. And um, we want to be careful not to do that when people are going through. Amen. So God could stop it, but he doesn't always stop it. And sometimes he's got a purpose in it that's greater than stopping it. So moving on, look at verse nine. A phrase he says to all the churches, I know your works. Um, God is saying to this persecuted group of believers, I know everything about you guys. I know your works. I know you guys. I know what you're going through. I know what you're doing for me. I know how difficult it is. I know your works. Now, why is that important? It's important. He said it to every church because sometimes, you know, you're doing work for the Lord and maybe people don't recognize it. Maybe nobody else sees it. We have to be reminded why he says every church. God would say, I know your works. Now, that's either good or bad. Right. For some churches, when God says, I know your works, it's, it's good. For Ephesus, when God said, I know your works, it was a lot of good, but it was some, some bad in there. To Smyrna, when God says, I know your works, we're going to see that it's all good. God says, I know you guys. You guys are right on. You're right where you need to be. I know it's tough. Hang in there. Right? There are going to be some other churches where he has, I mean, there's going to be a church where he has nothing good to say about no, That's not the church you want to be. We'll get there. Right? Um, but right here, he says, look, I know your works. I know everything about you guys. I'm going to tell you what I see. I know your works. He says, your tribulation. Um, I know you guys are going through it. I know you guys are suffering. I know you guys are enduring hardship. I know you guys are going through tribulation. I know about it. Now, if you're going through it, does God know that you're going through it? If you're going through a hard time, does God know? He does know. And we got to remember that. Sometimes we think, man, I'm going through it and nobody knows what I'm going through. Don't ever say that. Don't ever say, nobody knows what I'm going through. God knows. He's somebody. Amen. Ever present, helping time of trouble. Amen. Present with you 24-7, dwells within you, available to you, would hear you when you pray. Don't be sitting in a room saying nobody knows what I'm going through. You haven't died on the cross, have you? Ain't that bad. Whatever you're going through, right? It ain't it's not that bad. You ain't bled for Jesus. You haven't died in, on the cross for people that hate you. You know, you haven't, you know, we haven't done that. He has. And he said, Look, I, I, I'm there. I understand. I know your works. And here's the cool thing about that. Since he knows my tribulation, he knows if we're going through it. He said, I know I understand how it works and I know what you need when you're going through it. I know what you need in that season. You may think you need when I'm going through it. I think I need God to make it stop. God's like, no, no, no. You need strength to endure. I'm about overcoming. I'm not about lessening the pressure. So that you could, because how do you? You don't grow, right? If if, if every time you go through it, God says, God help, and He takes all the pressure away, how do you ever grow? You don't grow from that. I'll I'll be the first to tell you. I've I don't like to go through it. I don't like trials. I don't like seasons of persecution or difficult. I don't like it, but I always come out stronger for it. Every time I hate it while it's happening. I struggle with the the things that have been. I come out. I know Him better. I'm strengthening some area that I was weak in. God may expose some area that I need to tighten up, but I, I come out better for it afterwards. He says, look, I know your works. I know your tribulation. I know what you're going through. There's a reason why I'm not stopping it. I know your tribulation. Then he says, and poverty, but you are rich. Here's the interesting thing. There's going to be a church that God says about them that you say you're rich, but he says that they're, filth- they're miserable, poor, blind, and naked. But this church, he says, I know your poverty, And the word for poverty here is abject poverty. They are broke and they're impoverished because they've been robbed. They've been fired from jobs. uh, They've been persecuted for the gospel. They're they're poor for the gospel's sake. They're in poverty for God. And God says, look, I know you're poverty, but he says, but you're rich. What's he talking about? He's talking talking about where it really matters. There are people that are rich on earth and poor in God. They're poor in spiritual things. God says, look, you guys are poor right now. But you are rich, rich, rich. Let me explain that. Jesus, when he was teaching the disciples about persecution early in the gospels in Matthew 6, he said, Look, when all men revile you, when, when all men revile you, persecute you, say all manners of evil against you falsely for my name's sake, Jesus said, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Great is your reward. There's an eternal reward reward for persecution hanging there so he says look you guys are poor but you are rich you guys are racking it up for all eternity where it can never be taken away sometimes we gotta be able to look forward to those promises god i'm poor right now but if i'm poor because of this i'm rich ultimately i don't know i don't know what the eternal rewards look like you know but if God says it's a great reward, if the, if the creator of the universe says it is a great reward, y'all know it's going to be great. Amen. I mean, who can give a reward better than him? He made you. Uh, he know how to give a gift. And so if God says great is your reward, imagine, the, imagine how you rip yourself off if you try to live a cushion, cautious Christian experience so that you don't endure persecution. God is saying, look, when you endure persecution for my name's sake, rejoice and be exceedingly glad for your reward in heaven. So why would we seek to avoid scenarios that would create persecution when God's admitted there's reward for that? There are spiritual blessings on that. Don't avoid it. Rejoice in it when it happens. Amen. So he said, look, you guys, I know your poverty. He said, but you are rich. And then he says, and I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. There were people here at this era that were Jews nationally, but they weren't with the Lord. And they, they, were, they, were, they were working against the church at this time. And so Jesus says, I know those that say they're Jews. and these are, They're Jewish by culture, but they are not believers in me. And he says they're a synagogue of Satan. They are coming against their own countrymen, if you will, coming against them in this era, uh, this season. And God said, look, they're there are synagogue. I know about that too. I know that you're being, I know you're dealing with, with 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 challenges within within even your own your own culture of people at this time. He says, I know about that. It says, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. First so let me read that first, then we'll go back to the second part. So he says, look, the the phrase do not fear is literally stop being afraid. They were already afraid. And God is saying, don't be afraid. Now, I think this is important. It's so important to the life of the believer. God doesn't want Christians to be scary. Y'all know that? God doesn't want you to be afraid. God doesn't want you to be cowering. To God wants you to fear him and nobody else. God wants you to look in the face of adversity and, and not be moved, not be challenged. As I look at how I was raised, my mother really wanted to instill that in us. My mom was one where she was like, my mom, I, today they got all these anti-bullying stuff. My mom was like, well, you won't get bullied. It's not going. You, it's not going to be no bullying going on over here. My mom just wasn't going to have that. If she felt like somebody, my mom, my mom literally drove up to my school, and I was having an issue with one kid. Then his cousin came to my school, so there was two of them. And my mom pulled up, and I was like, "Whew, I'm out of it." You know, I. I my mom was like, "Oh no, I go. You're gonna go get him. Right, go right now. I'll watch. Nobody's jumping in. you're gonna go hit him. This is not gonna happen every day." And I'm like, now I feared her. She's like, no, you're going to go punch him right now. And uh, imagine sitting in the principal's office with your mom. And it's like, she she said, you know, and and she flipped it on the school. You guys should have had people out there to watch these kids jump in my son. Your fault, you know. So, but she was not, my mom did not want us to be afraid. She didn't want us to be fearful or to be bullied in any kind of way. God is saying about his kids, I don't want you to be afraid. Don't be afraid. But they can kill me. Don't be afraid. But they took my job. Don't be afraid. God is saying, don't fear. You know why? Because fear will paralyze you and control you. Fear will give somebody else control that belongs to God in your life. God is supposed to be lording and covering and directing. But if you become fearful of finances, right, that'll govern you, not God. Now I'm making decisions that are only based on my fear of finances, not on what the Lord is telling me to do. If I become afraid of potential circumstances or what, this, what could happen if I do what God says, fear can give control to a lot of other entities, but it takes control from God. God says, I want to be in control of your life. I want to be the Lord of your life. And that only works if you're not afraid of anybody, but you fear me. You revere me above everybody else. So he tells them, don't be afraid. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Now, God doesn't say the suffering's going to stop. He's getting ready to tell them it's going to get worse but it's a time frame on it, right? He doesn't, he's not, he didn't say it's not gonna happen. He didn't say, don't fear, I'm gonna punish them all. I'm gonna stop them from getting you. No, he says, don't fear what's about to happen. It's about to get worse, but I'm, I'm, I'm setting a limit on what can happen. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 years. So God says, he says, hey, there's a, the time limit is on it. This is, this, is, this is the church that existed. Imagine getting that letter and God is saying, look, there's going to be a time of temptation. Satan's going to throw some of y'all into prison. It's a time of testing. And this is my point I made earlier, that sometimes, what's Satan want to throw them into prison? He wants them to quit. He wants them to cower. He wants them to be afraid. He wants them to deny Christ. He wants them to bow to need to Caesar. That's all of the persecution is coming from the enemy in that vein, and God is saying, I'm testing you through this. I want to prove you faithful. I want you to come out on the other end shining. I want you to endure this persecution and, and, and come out standing strong anyway. Uh, I want you to go through this. I don't want you to be afraid. I don't want you to, I'm telling you up front, it's going to be tough. It's going to be difficult. There's a time frame, There's It's limited. It's only going to be for this period of time, but God says, I want you guys to endure. And then he says this, be faithful until death. And I will give you the crown of life. That's a big deal. First, let's deal with the be faithful to death. What does that mean? That means be faithful in the face of death. And God says, I'll give you a crown of life. I want you to be faithful. Some of these believers are going to be put in scenarios and situations where you renounce or die. He says, be faithful unto death. Don't, don't, don't be willing to die then. Be faithful unto death. And he says, and I will give you the crown of life. Now, there are different crowns spoken about in the Bible, but he says, look, I'm going to give you guys the crown of life. But I just want to back up for just a moment because as we read that, we can read that real quick. But I really want everybody to consider if we were living in a time where season or things progressed even in America where it became Life or death to be a Christian, life or death to stand your ground, life or death to preach the gospel, life or death to, to, re, to remain, to keep your stand to Jesus Christ as Lord and there is no other God besides him. Do we stand? Do we bow? Do we cower? Because, you know, we're not there yet, but you can, you can judge yourself. Do you bow on other issues? Because the church today is bowing on lesser issues to not be offensive. You can't do that. You know Why? Cause it's not your book. It's not your words. It's not your gospel the, the, I hear this phrase out there that I'm going to live my truth. It's not your truth. Amen. It's the truth. We don't get to make it up as we go. I don't get to have a version of truth. That's that's mine personally. I just believe the truth, the truth that comes from him. We're living in an era right now where it's unpopular to hold some opinions and some views about things. It's going to get more and more unpopular And there'll be persecution that will arise from those things. Are we going to stand our ground? Are we going to change the language? Are we going to acquiesce to the culture? Are we going to make God blend in with the carnality around us? Are we going to stand our ground and say, no, this is what the Bible says. This is the truth about that situation. There's many different things that are coming down the pike right now. It'll be more and more and more and more unpopular to hold the views that the Bible teaches. I'll give you some right now. Right. The Bible teaches that killing a if you kill a baby in the womb, what is that? It's murder. That's a life. It's a life at inception. So that's the biblical view on that is I'm going to be pro. I'm for life in the womb. I'm not for you being able to go have an operation and kill your baby. I'm not for a a person's, you know, they've made it into something else. A woman's right that you bogus. If, I, if you can't kill your baby after the day it's born, how come you can kill it when it's in there? It's a lifesteal. That's the Christian position. That's the biblical position. It's, it's less and less and less and less popular, but it's the correct position. I'm not folding on that. I won't fold on that because somebody, you know, shared their opinion real well. Or it's the view that more people go with. Bible says marriage is for... A man and a woman. One man, one woman, to death do his part. That's what marriage, that's who he created for. It all works that way. I can't fold on that. Will you do a marriage for Bruce and Brian? I wouldn't do it. And I'm not making fun, but it's a mockery of, I didn't create marriage. Marriage is not my institution. It's not my belief. It's God said he created it. He created the people that were to be in it. And he put it together the way that he wanted. Now I live in a culture where there's a ton of pressure to just. Would well, you need to been there? It's going to be really unpopular. People like, but it's, I can't. I don't have that right. It's not mine. It's not my truth, is it? I didn't write this book. I believe that these are the words of God. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to stand on the word of God. I'm going to preach the word of God. I'm going to live according to the word of God. And while the culture around me changes rapidly and 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 loudly and powerfully. We can't fold on these things, and it will bring persecution. And we got to be able to just stand. We got to be able to withstand whatever that looks like. Uh, I could give you 10 more issues. There's so many of them. The bottom line is this we believe what the Bible says. And if you won't, if you fudge on what the Bible says because of pressure, then you're not enduring. You're not standing the test. You're not being faithful to God in that. That's unfaithfulness, which is not what we want to do. Amen. We want to be faithful with these things. So he tells them, be faithful until death. I'm not even dealing with death yet. I'm just dealing with some folk that disagree strongly, may talk about me bad, you know, may call me some names or whatever. But he says, be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. So there are two different crowns given, talked about in the, in the ancient Greek language. Um, one of them describes a crown a king would wear, crown of royalty. The other one is a crown, it's, it's Stephanos. It's the one that an athlete would get after winning. And that's the one that Jesus says here. He's saying it's it's almost like if you guys endure to death, you guys get a trophy from me. You guys get an award. You guys have finished. You guys have won your race. And he says, I'll I'll give you a Stephanos, a a crown of life um, for those who endure to the end. Verse 11 says this to all the churches. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, interesting, because this is spoken to that church. If I, want this, I want you guys, if he, those who have an ear, I want you to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. What are we hearing from God? What do we learn about Jesus in this short section? One, that he knows what we're going through if we're going through it, amen? And he understands. Number two, that it's not always God's will. Many times it's not God's will to stop the challenge, to stop the persecution. It's to strengthen you to endure it. God doesn't come take it away. He tells them, I'll reward you for holding your ground. Don't fall back. Be faithful unto death. It'll be be worth it in the end. Uh, It'll be difficult, but it'll be worth it. We learned that about him. He's not coming to take away every challenge, um, but God wants us to endure the challenges that come our way. Then he gives them this promise. He says, he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. While he doesn't want them to fear potentially death on earth, he says, those who overcome will not be hurt by the second death. Anybody want to know what the second death is? We'll go to Revelation chapter. We're going to close here. Everybody turn to Revelation 20, verse 11 through 15 with me, and we're going to look at what the second death is. Revelation 20, we're going to look at verses 11 through 15. Revelation 20, 11, you got it? All right. It says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them and I saw the dead small and great standing before God and books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them and they were judged each one according to his works then death. And Hades were cast into the lake of fire, this is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So God tells this group look, those who overcome, you won't see the second death. The second death is for all non believers. Later in Revelation says, for all the cowardly, all the unbelieving, all the, there'll be some people that in their heart believe. But they didn't follow through. They let fear over. There'll be some people that go to hell because they feared men more than they feared God. Do you know that? There'll be people that go to hell that knew the gospel, but were afraid. Afraid of what it would cost them. Afraid of committing to the God. They knew the gospel. There'll be people in hell that knew the gospel, but didn't adhere to the gospel. Some for the fear of men. Some for the fear of what it would cost them. He says, you guys, those who overcome will not see the second death. That section of Revelation 20, everybody that goes to the great white throne is going to hell, for y'all that didn't know that. Believers won't be at that judgment. That's not for us. We are, our sins have all been judged on the cross, amen? And we can praise God for that. So as we close this today, Smyrna, persecuted church, notice that there was no, no word of rebuke to them. God had no correction, just encouragement, hang in there. A promise of what he'll do for them as they are faithful to the end. The recognition that he knew what they were going through. I know your works. I know your poverty. I know the tribulation. I know what's going on. And I'm not telling you it's going to go away. It's going to get worse, but it's going to be worth it in the end for you guys. That's what we got to remember. What do we learn from Jesus here? He doesn't want me focused always on what's happening today. He wants me to have an eternal perspective. That you wouldn't be so focused on what's happening now that you lose sight of what's going to happen then. I want to have a perspective. I'm aware of what's happening now. But I want to have a perspective that says, I'm living for eternity. Amen.
0: We know there are many ways that you can spend your day, but we're delighted that you chose to spend time with us today, here on A Transforming Word. Pastor Bill is working his way through the book of Revelation. There are a variety of things addressed in this book. There are letters written to churches, lots of imagery and prophecy, and the best part, a coming king who will reign supreme. Don't you just love a good story, where good overcomes evil? Jesus is the ultimate in this, bringing good and restoring all that's broken and lost. What a wonderful Savior! How do you engage with the book of Revelation? Is it scary to you? Is it confusing? Is it inspiring? We'd like to help you through what you're thinking as you're listening to these messages. Our number is 310-245-4811. Feel free to give us a call. We'd love to connect with you, just in case you missed it. That number is 310-245-4811. A Transforming Word is a radio ministry based out of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood, in Inglewood, California. Would you come visit us? Sunday morning services are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. For those not in the area... You can live stream our service on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram. Look for links on our website, calvaryinglewood.org. Our time with you today is about up, but please join us again for the next edition as God continues to reveal His plan for the world and for us. On behalf of Pastor Bill and the rest of the production team, thanks for being a part of A Transforming Word.